it's just being honestly curious about things and not being afraid to ask questions. I think the smartest people that I've ever met are the people who don't have all the answers, but they're very good at formulating really interesting questions. And if you look at people from our past, like Tesla or Einstein, these are people who just asked questions that were better than the questions that other people were thinking about at the time. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Patrick Keeney. Pat is relentless about making education better at large scales. He started this quest with 17 years in physics and math classrooms, building physics programs by removing roadblocks so that underserved populations could take challenging content. His next set of contributions were as a NASA consultant, where he became known for solving outreach problems that were exceptionally challenging. Finally, at K-12, he was able to lead builds of projects and programs that serve students nationwide. Pat was recently nominated to the top 100 leaders in education list by the Global Forum of Education and Learning. Welcome back, Patrick. <laughs> it's good to be here. Good to be back. <laughs> I'm excited to have you back. Uh, just to remind our audience, Patrick has actually been featured on The Luminous Mind twice before on episodes 145 and 183. However, at that time, you were doing a lot of work back then with K-12 online schools. <laughs> so why don't you just take a minute now, Patrick, and reintroduce yourself to our audience and just tell us, like, give us an update of what you're doing now, where you're at. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I'll go back to the beginning. I, um, I came out of college a uh, physics teacher and uh, for 17 years taught physics in three different school districts in Pennsylvania and Maryland and had the opportunity to work with some amazing professionals who helped shape my, um, uh, my professional habits, uh, my, my worldview, uh, and um, also was a, a coach, basketball and softball coach. And uh, through a variety of experiences, I had the opportunity to transition to uh, work and do some consulting with the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Uh, so over a 10-year period, I had the opportunity to work with uh, some of the brightest minds on the planet and um, work with them on how to take what they know and what they can do and uh, some of the missions. I worked with three different missions, but how to make that accessible to teachers and students so that they could use that to their benefit in uh, the classroom and other learning experiences. Uh, skipping a couple of the smaller pieces, uh, in 2006, uh, I started to work with K-12. I was the director of instructional design for math and science. Um, one of the exciting things that we did, I was reminded yesterday, Rebecca, uh, was building out a suite of 60 virtual labs um, in a way is controversial because when you think about a science lab, it should be hands-on, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we wanted to make them outstanding to the extent where people would feel that 
if they wanted, these could replace that hands-on experience or augment the hands-on experience because in, in a chemistry experiment, you use the chemicals up and you can't do it again. But in a virtual experience, you can use the chemicals over and over and over again, and they replenish themselves magically, right? And not so, that we um, don't want kids to have the authentic uh, situation, but sometimes right. that can be dangerous too, you know? Exactly. Right. And, uh, and in thinking about uh, online, by the way, uh, K-12 uh, was one of the leaders in sending um, very well thought out detailed science kits to students Unfortunately, there are certain things that you cannot send through the mail. <laughs> you and become so, the Unabomber, right? <laughs> yeah. So after after realizing that, um, there there were some experiences that we wanted to provide that were cool and not explosive necessarily or dangerous, <laughs> but um, the, again, there 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 are limitations, and I think they're probably good common sense limitations. <laughs> but um, uh, that was that was a great experience. And then in a, uh, at the beginning, about ten years ago. Um, I, uh, I flipped my career a little bit. We'll find probably a theme in this. Uh, through, throughout my career, I found that programs tended to last in school districts, especially as long as the funding lasted. Yeah. And that was unfortunate. Um, and that, that was also true pretty much at NASA, where some, some great experience were created for students uh, but those experiences were very limited in terms of their lifespan. So sustainability became a very important idea to me. And I wanted to dive into the business end of education. And uh, so I had the opportunity to do that and become a product manager at K-12 in the area of career education. And it so happened that at that time, career education uh, began to grow throughout the country in terms of importance on the, in terms of the skills gap, business needs. Uh, it became something that was a topic during uh, election years. Uh, and uh, 2020 happens to be an election year. So I'm sure that uh, there are, are potential candidates who are, uh, who are talking about uh, the skills gap and uh, the need for our country to remain competitive. But um, had the opportunity at K-12 uh, to model, uh, to work, work with some outstanding people there, but to really take the lead and champion uh, career education. And uh, over a period of six and a half years, I and uh, a team of many people um, built uh, the Destinations Career Academies, uh, which uh, the very first one was in Idaho. Yeah. And when I left K-12 uh, last summer, uh, these academies were uh, in 13 K-12 online schools in, in 13 states, um, over 13,000 students. And these are students who are on target to not just graduate with a diploma, but uh, to explore careers, to find out not only what they like, but what they don't like, which is important for students, so that they don't find that out after they've gone through two years of college and end up $40,000 in debt yeah. and change their major, which is actually something I did. <laughs> and so K-12 had committed such amazing resources and brought in outstanding people in the field. Uh, people like Dr. Sean McElmont, uh, Leilani Brown, and the team was great and large. And uh, I felt like it was an opportunity for me to step out and look for uh, some other challenges. And so I've been, I opened up my own consulting company, Accentuate Learning, 
and uh, have been causing trouble over the last nine months, probably, <laughs> uh, in a variety of different areas. <laughs> well, we always like uh, people who cause trouble, uh, you know, <laughs> who are disruptors of everything that we exactly. you know, that we're doing, so that so that we're seeing some change and some growth and things like that. So, so I love on your on your personal website you have if you love what you do, you will never work a day in your life. And you've actually moved. I mean, you're kind of in retirement mode in a way, right? You're in this warm, sunny place now and all of that. Tell me the why that's true for you. Why you feel like that's true? So, I've been blessed with many options. Most people don't have opportunity to do one of the three or four things that I, I consider myself very fortunate to have been involved in. Um, I, I have a little bit of a feeling of, of kind of being the Forrest Gump of education in terms of my career, where if you've seen the movie Forrest Gump, he really tripped into being in the right place at the right time. And I'm sure that you know, as a professional habit, um, preparation uh, and ability uh, help to uh, facilitate being in the right place at the right time. But there are a lot of people who work very hard every day at K-12, for instance, and yet I, I happened to be involved in two projects there over my 13 years uh, that were uh, cornerstone projects uh, to really being great experiences for students. And in each of these cases, I can look back on my career and then go back to NASA and go back to when I taught physics and coached. And I've, I've been able to follow what I thought was really cool to work on and important and disruptive and innovative and to bring, I think, a sense of ownership to it uh, and and integrity to it. Again, I'll come back to the idea of sustainability. Most of those programs have lasted and endured. And uh, so when you have the opportunity to do things like that, Rebecca, and I think you with uh, the Luminous Mind podcast, this is an example of something that's been disruptive and cool and endured. So um, I think you can relate to the idea that the old euphemism, uh, it's a labor of love uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and things like that. It's it not always fun. It's not always simple. But for one reason or other, uh, there's, there's no mountain insurmountable because it's fun and it's worthy. And so uh, I've just been very fortunate to, to be able to be involved in those things and, and then to move on from K-12 and work uh, in a couple areas that fit that characteristic as well. That's awesome. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that there's people like that that get to do, basically get to live their dream, you know, get to, to be part of that and make money while they're doing it as well. So, well, Re awesome. Rebecca, the one thing that I, I'll assure you is that I am not in semi-retirement mode, <laughs> okay. even though I'm in Florida. <laughs> okay. uh, so, in fact, quite the opposite. One of the reasons that we uh, moved to Florida which will be impossible for you or any of your listeners to believe. Uh, but one of the reasons that we moved here was that we felt that it, it gave us the opportunity. When I, when I say us, I mean my wife and I. It gave us the opportunity uh, to not fight the, the winters that we were used to in the north. Uh, you know, a, a, yeah. a lot of the environmental factors that you run into in different parts of the country and to prolong our useful and uh, creative, beneficial uh, lives. My, my wife is uh, more of a philanthropist than I am. And uh, so th that was important to her. And um, so we're here, I, I think, so that we can work harder, believe it or not. That's not just a line. 
um, as opposed to enduring long commutes and, and things of that nature. Yeah, uh, well, I get that. That's uh, recently we moved and we moved into town and you start to realize the need that's around you. And all of a sudden uh, you have a much uh, broader scope you know, of, yes, of yes. what your life is about. So that's awesome. What I love to hear like those highs and lows. You know, I often talk about that on the podcast. I think one of my contributors talked about that, that we find that life's mission in those highs and lows of our lives. And it seems like you've had more highs than lows. But just so our audience really understands like some of the things that you're working on now, you know, when we discuss doing this podcast, uh, you're working with a company to build out the CTE programs, which we would like to have an explanation for, for schools in Ohio that are underprivileged or credit deficient youth. Kind of explain, you know, what you've been doing now and how that fits with that, you know, that life's mission, that passion that you have to help with education. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I think as we all know, uh, education adjusts to uh, the different winds that blow culturally, politically throughout our country. And I think education on the whole does best when it adapts to real needs that real average everyday people, adults and students uh, experience. And I think, by the way, school choice is one of those areas that is a response to a need. And that's why school choice has endured now over over decades. And, uh, and, a, and across I, party lines, basically. And across party lines. And in spite of the bickering that you might see in the media, I think continues to improve education on the whole. And I think that's what the movement is really about. Uh, and so... Career education is similar in the sense that um, when I grew up, career education consisted of what people thought of as Votech. Mm -hmm. And when they thought of it, they kind of thought of it with that connotation of Votech uh, and, and that, um, that tonality and that lack of energy because uh, it was where the students who were not going to go to college were sent. It was where uh, many students who were uh, problem students who uh, the school didn't want to have in the, the, the main body of the school for, uh, for the entire school day were sent. It had a reputation, in other words. And the reputation was not preparing students for high-paying jobs in the trades. The reputation was it's a place for students who can't. Mm -hmm. What's happened over the last 30 or 40 years, culturally, quietly, has been extremely significant. And that is that 30 or 40 years ago, there were almost no jobs that were between the levels of having a high school diploma and having a four-year college diploma. And it created that two-tier system of you're either there to get a high school diploma in high school to get a high school diploma, or you're there to get prepared to go to college. And there was no in between. And what's happened in the last 30 or 40 years is really interesting. And again, it's silent almost, but it's touched many of our lives. And that is that about a third of all jobs in our country and a growing number of jobs in our country require a little bit more than a high school diploma, but are enough education that it's, it's very accessible to students who would have no intention of earning a four-year degree and may not have the real aptitude to earn a four-year degree. And I'll add 
may not be crazy enough to want to take on a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> or exactly. hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt earning a four-year degree and so that space in between uh, earning a, a high school diploma and earning a four-year degree is now an important space and you see it in areas in in law the paralegal in nursing uh, the CNA nursing nursing assistance mm-hmm. um, there are many companies who now aren't as interested in four-year degree students, but they're interested in students who are coming out of community and technical colleges with certifications that they can bring in and train their way, which they feel they have to do with students who come out of a four-year college anyhow. And those are companies who are American stalwarts in their industries, like IBM. So career education has a political motivation behind it, It has a societal motivation because we right now have about 5 million jobs in America that are unfilled. I saw a statistic in the state of Ohio, 150,000 jobs in Ohio right now are are going unfilled and 60,000 of them, 40% are jobs that are entry level and that pay over $50,000 a year. Those are good jobs, yeah, they're in, uh, that's a, a living wage. They don't require a four-year degree. And I, I don't have anything against a four-year degree. Uh, I'm, I got to where I am because I have a degree probably. But the old recipe of you have to have a four-year degree in order to be successful in America is a myth. It's not true. And um, in areas like the trades where you have pipe fitters, uh, people who operate heavy machinery, electricians, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, we could, could go Mechanics, on and on. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, list these occupations. But for one reason or another, these these jobs have been diminished in terms of their prestige and value. And yet they're there and we need these people and uh, people who are in the areas of manufacturing and agriculture and who are living in certain industries uh, are, are really feeling pain. So career education is about allowing students to take courses while they are in uh, high school or even in middle school grades Mm -hmm. where a they learn about what different careers have to offer and that helps them figure out what they want to do and what they might not want to do there are many online tools that help students explore their aptitude what they're good at where their interests are and how that matches up to certain occupations. And that's an opportunity that that kind of flies in the face of what we find with students, which is that the average student who's in eighth grade really knows and understands between seven and 10 careers. And there are so many more robust things uh, and opportunities that, that students can learn about. Um, so that's that's one part of it is career exploration. The other part of it is providing students with the opportunity to move forward if they want to in an area and earn uh, credentials or uh, qualify for apprenticeships that uh, they may be able to get a leg up on in qualifying for them as career and technical college students if they want to go that direction. Or they might be able to earn these before they graduate high school. One example of that, Rebecca, is, uh, by the way, do you know of many occupations where people don't use a Microsoft Office product like Word or Excel. I think everybody does now, right? I, I, th- I think for the most part, <laughs> wh- whether that's good or not, 
might be the topic for a different podcast. <laughs> exactly. But those are those are tools that are ubiquitous. And a student can take a course in Microsoft Word, uh, then go and take the Microsoft Office uh, specialists exam in that area. Uh, it does not require an understanding of calculus or trigonometry. It does not require uh, many higher order skills, in fact. And yet, uh, after a semester, uh, they can be qualified to earn a Microsoft Office specialist certification in Word, uh, which then gives them an advantage when they apply for a summer job, when they apply for a job that may help them earn more money uh, to help them get through four years of college et cetera, et cetera, okay. whatever their goals might be. But we're shifting into a society that is becoming more and more credential based and certification based and less what's your degree. Uh, and so building out programs like that, we did that at K-12. Uh, and there's again, a fine group of people who are continuing to work with that, that great program, the destinations program there. And um, there is a, a small network of schools in Ohio that serve students who come from uh, deficient or underprivileged backgrounds. Uh, these are students who, uh, while we are worried about what's for dinner, they're worried about where's dinner coming from today yeah. and who, who live in uh, areas where there may be extremely high poverty or where uh, opportunities have uh, led them down uh, negative paths in the past. And so these are students who uh, usually are uh, between the ages of 16 and 21. Uh, they may have three or six or nine credits toward graduation. And the purpose of these schools is to provide an appropriate, flexible opportunity uh, for these students to enter the school and um, not just work through credits, but also find opportunities that can help get them out of the situations that have held them back. They, these are students who are bright, who are fine people, and uh, where most of the time the difference between uh, success and failure is the opportunities that either they do or do not have. So infusing a career education program into these schools is a, uh, I think part of equity in education, we should be offering these students the, the same opportunities that we offer other students. These are not students that are dumber. They're students who just uh, didn't have the opportunity that my son had, uh, which was to be homeschooled for more than half of his career, uh, education uh, by uh, a father who uh, had a, a certification in physics. You know, so many of us and so many of our, our sons and daughters uh, have been blessed. Not that we don't have challenges every once in a while, but compared to what these students have to face and have had to face, um, it's a, a, a different degree of opportunity. So I'm really excited about, it's very different than uh, online. Uh, these are, um, in some cases, 18-year-old uh, mothers, and they want uh, what's best for their, their sons and daughters, just like we do, and they want to become um, useful members of, uh, of society. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be working with the, uh, the network of schools. The, the network itself is called Career Prep Schools. Uh, two of them are in uh, Columbus. The other five are in uh, areas around the state that are population centers like Akron and Toledo and Dayton. And it is, as we talked about before, a labor of love. 
Yeah, and that's that's the interesting part. I think that you've gone from online, you know, to a lot of like STEM and the games like that, and you're doing more. It looks like uh, hands-on, you know, with those uh, hands-on schools with kids that, like we said, that are labeled as underprivileged or deficient in some way when they're really just, um, I think that's what I love about the school choice movement too, is I met so many parents that uh, come from a variety of backgrounds and you can see we all just want the same thing. You know, we just all want opportunity for our children. We want to see them have a better life than we did. And that's more possible for some people than others. And um, it kind of makes it, you know, we hear a lot of that equality, you know, that there's not equality in our our world anymore. And, and a lot of that in some ways is very true because there's a big difference between what's for dinner and where is dinner coming from, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. Such, um, well, and, and equality has become, equality and equity have become such trigger words. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we live in a time where it doesn't take much to get most people very excited one way or the other about a topic or an idea and just to speak about equality and equity in education for a minute, it's not trying to cookie cutter all students into this same product that comes out the other end, right? Mm-hmm. It's about providing the same op- or similar opportunities to students so that uh, when it comes time for the field trip to the local NASA Space Flight Center, um, it's not only the schools and students who have the money, who can afford the transportation, who have that opportunity. In my mind, that used to be and still is to a great extent what public education is about. Unfortunately, when people hear school choice, I think that feels like a knock against public education. And in my mind, that couldn't be further from the truth. Public education has done a wonderful job with many students and has overcome unbelievable obstacles in order to do that. I think with school choice, we have the opportunity to bring some of those great opportunities to students who, uh, for one reason or another, slip through the cracks of our our public education system. These would be the 20 percent of students uh, in, in the schools that I'm working with right now. These would be and you could put whatever percentage you'd like on them, but these would be the 20 percent of students who either struggle to get a GED at some point or just never get a high school diploma at all. It's not for not wanting to. Um, it's it's just that they, if you get hit with a couple of things at the wrong age in your life, it definitely affects your outcome. And that also, the last thing I'll say is, that's why I truly do feel blessed when we talked about my career before, of just really being in places where the opportunity was there. Uh, all I had to do was show up. You just had to and, say, yes, um, we'll do it. <laughs> and that's very different, very different than what many of these students go through. Yeah. Well, and uh, School Choice, too, is providing a variety of different modalities for different style of learners, too. And, you know, when we're talking about those hands-on, those technical career opportunities, I think of the boy, the gender gap that we're seeing in education so much with boys. Mm-hmm. You know, I have three boys, one girl and three boys, but I've noticed all of them, especially in that middle school era, really want that more of that hands-on experience. Sometimes girls are more adapt to learning out of a book, but my sons I've noticed are very like, they want to touch and feel and, you know, experience it, have a whole body experience with it instead of just 
all with their mind or visually. You know what I mean? Yes. And so that's yes. why I think, I mean, it's not just underprivileged kids. It's giving, it's giving a variety of modalities to people who, um, who have the opportunity to learn. And then when we look at suicide rates um, for boys, we look at, I don't mean to be so passionate about about boys in particular, but I, I see this. But we see high suicide rates, high incarceration mm-hmm. rates, high um, drug use, you know, high all of that with boys. And I think if we can offer them an education that feels very unique to them, we won't lose them in those other areas as well. Is I, I agree. I think we're at risk of losing a generation of young men. And Mm -hmm. unless and until we find what is engaging to them and intersects with their skills and most of all their values and the experiences Mm -hmm. that that they find valuable in in life, we're going to find that there's a great deal of untapped talent in our country. And again, I think equity is about providing experiences that help to provide opportunities that set people on fire. Exactly. Yeah, we just haven't done it with that that group of people, maybe as well as we have in the past. Yeah, and uh, we want to continue to do so, and then that helps uh, our society at large because when we have healthy men, we have healthier families. You know, we have more men willing to uh, take the roles of being a good father. And I could just go off on all of that, (laughs) Um, but I'd love to. We could we could we could (laughs) switch this around, Rebecca, and I'd be happy to interview you for the rest of the. uh, No, it's fine. I would love to hear, though, you know, starting this whole kind of new path that you have of um, doing your own consulting business. Mm -hmm. Maybe what are some challenges that you've had with starting that and what have you learned from that? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first challenge is to our marriage. Um, No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, but my one of the uh, one of the things that my wife has she has vacillated, Rebecca, between being angry at me, impatient, um, disturbed, uh, just sick of me. Uh, one, one thing that, that she has made me promise I would do, though, at some point or other, is write a book about a topic that we've not discussed so far, by the way, um, but a, a book about that's basically a manual for learning. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I'll take a moment to explain. There are many ways that people can power up their learning and literally be able to learn 10 times more in half the time. I very early in my career, uh, I, I taught my AP students many of these techniques and that's why they had success. It wasn't because they had me as a teacher. It wasn't because they were smarter than students all over the country either. Uh, most of the students that I had were your average students in Pennsylvania and in Maryland. But ultimately, when you give somebody a better hammer or a shovel that works better, uh, you know, picture somebody who, who's, who's working and has a regular hammer, and then you give somebody else a jackhammer. And if the jackhammer is appropriate for the job, they're going to win every time. And so there are techniques that are not, um, we can teach, but I, I know that people have written books and built MOOCs and courses around uh, neuroscience and learning for the average person. And you can teach people that, but that doesn't necessarily help people learn better. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's all people want is they just want to learn better. And because people who learn, I, I've found, are happier. Uh, and people get frustrated when they can't learn and they start to tell themselves, oh, I'll never be able to learn anything. Um, it's not about speed reading either. 
Um, speed reading's been around forever, and there are different versions of it, and that's well documented. But um, techniques like chunking, a very simple idea of uh, don't sit and study for four hours in one sitting. A smarter way to study is uh, to study for 20 or 25 minutes. You have filled up the capacity of your brain at that point uh, and uh, take five minutes off mm -hmm. and then come back to it for 20 or 25 minutes. And these are well-proven, well-known, well-understood techniques um, that, that, that have not been championed, have not been productized and are not to say they're not widely used is an understatement. They're rarely used and rarely taught. So um, it's another area that uh, I'm passionate about, and my wife is obviously passionate about. Oh, and you got me, me all not intrigued. It much no. of a secret. So <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure that at some point I will do that. But the reason I brought that up is that the I think the biggest challenge has been that there are so many interesting companies, organizations, enterprises that are, are working on worthy things. I, I had the opportunity to uh, do some work uh, for a company that is building virtual reality experiences for pre-employment uh, workers. Uh, so uh, OSHA is uh, an example of a credential, it's a safety credential, that many times somebody has to have before they can go step foot on, on a work site. And in earning a, an OSHA credential, I can't think of anything more boring than sitting for 10 hours in a class and having somebody just talk at you and you not really being any more qualified in terms of safety than you were before that, but you've got a credential. Imagine the power of a virtual reality experience where you have to walk through a work site that's similar to that work site and you see obstacles, dangers and challenges that you have to figure out how to react to. And then if you react the wrong way, nothing bad happens to you. You don't die or get injured or have acid burn your arm off or anything like that. Um, but you have the opportunity to get feedback and then do that over and over again until you master that. And so there's, there's a lot of value there. There are many companies who are working on virtual reality and augmented reality training like that. And I would love to spend a whole lifetime there. Uh, the, I have a passion for games and have been working with a doctor in uh, the state of Maine who has created a board game called Getting By uh, that helps people who play the game. It's magical. After 30 or 45 minutes, start to really feel and understand the concept and idea of scarcity. And games are a great way to experience things without having permanent, deep consequences. Yeah. So all you have to do is start to become impoverished for a half hour, 45 minutes, and then you can stop playing and you're, you're back to normal. But it helps people to understand and really feel and build a true empathy uh, for people who are, are disadvantaged. And so I love all of these different types of, of projects because they're disruptive. They really seek out ways to become sustainable. Um, how, you know, how, how, not just how do we build a great product, but how do we build one that lots of people can use and that, that makes sense uh, from, from every angle. Um, and so it's my lack of time and lack of, mm -hmm. of the ability to clone myself that I think has been the biggest challenge. And hope, 
hopefully uh, I've been involved in these products because I've been able to contribute something to them. I hope I have. (laughs) And that's the exciting part. So what I'm getting is your challenge is really trying to figure out what your focus is going to be. And so what what is your conclusion to that? I mean, am I correct? Is that right? You are. And I I think the first thing that I probably need, Rebecca, is some career education. (laughs) No, I'm I'm, I'm joking. (laughs) No, seriously, though. (laughs) You know, and and I think you know this, some of the most interesting people that I've ever met are people who are are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s and are still trying to figure out what they want to do and be when they grow up. And I definitely feel, um, you know, my wife and I, I are uh, religious, and so we feel that there's a hand moving us in the direction that we should be going in, and we're willing to submit to that hand. Uh, And at the same time, there's no lack of cool and interesting things to be working on. And just think for a minute, when I say that, think for a minute about the next 10 or 20 years when Mm -hmm. we're going back into space and when people are going to want to do things like mine asteroids and all that that builds and implies, or how artificial intelligence is going to help us lengthen life and the changes that that's gonna make to the medical profession and the changes that that necessarily is going to mean for how we educate ourselves and educate each other. So that's a great question and I'm actually not so much worried about where where I'll end up landing Uh, In fact, I I think in the back of my mind, I actually hope that I'm not going to land anywhere and that I'm going to continue to have the opportunity to just work with great projects and great teams of people. Mm, To be at the right place at the right time. (laughs) One one would hope. Opportunity, yeah. That's what Accentuate Learning was about. I stole that from the very first uh, teaching job that I had where the superintendent's motto was Accentuate the Positive. And he lived that motto and that affected me as a young teacher. The purpose of our consulting services are that if we can accentuate what you're doing in any way, any positive way, that that's what we we're here for. That's what we want to do. Uh, ultimately, it's for the for the betterment of everybody. And uh, I, I don't have to have my name up, up in lights or it's not about self aggrandizement. In fact, that's probably why I have not written a book yet, uh, because then, you know, you, you have to talk about you and your book. And I'd rather talk about the the students and the great projects that there are out there. But but at the end of the day, um, I think if there are enough folks and, and there's a growing number of outstanding people in the business community who are entrepreneurs, who are building companies in the education space that are really cool, there are so many caring people like yourself who sponsor and stimulate conversations about education that I think over the next 20, 10 to 20 years, we're going to see a time when education changes in America more so than maybe it has in the last two generations combined. Well, when you talk about your book, I really feel like that's where education really needs to go. And that's something that I've, yeah, I'd love to collaborate with you because I mean, you're, you're speaking right up my alley of what I'm thinking. Like I would love to help people learn how to learn because I think that that's really the challenge that we have in our day anymore. It's we went from a generation where we regurgitated back information to now we we just need people who can learn quick enough to keep up with technology. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? Like, and that's really the the key. And so many students do not have so many people, even adults. Um, as adults, we don't have those skills. You know, I look at my husband and I, and I feel like we're almost in that second part of life that I feel like you are, where 
it's no longer about the money. It's about becoming a person who provides huge value to the world. You know what I mean? Like yes. we're in that second phase of life and um, feeling the need to want to try to do that. But there's that learning gap, you know, where we we're trying to learn the technology, but we we have been taught to regurgitate that information versus how to really learn. And I think that that's what we really need to focus education on anymore is teaching students like how to chunk their time, how to, you know, 10x that learning, I think is is inc oh, you just like I said, I'm just so passionate about that. It's just amazing. So, well, we've had the we've had the opportunity to try that. Uh, not not on guinea pigs, but I taught over 1,700 students in my teaching career. Um, I think many of them benefited from that. And when we do have the time, when I'm not flying to to Ohio or or other places, we continue to to hone that as a, a program. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe some course creation. You know, some online course creation. I think would be powerful. I, I, I think that that is, although there's the oxymoron of uh, making sure that people really absorb and learn the content. There's a there's sort of a meta thing going on there, right? Of one of the most important and powerful factors in an individual's education is the quality of feedback that they receive. Mm -hmm. And many times the best quality feedback that a human being can receive is from another human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's that we, why that family dynamic yes. is so important. And that's why some underprivileged people somewhat struggle because they don't have that good family dynamic with the positive, healthy feedback, right? Like, exactly. And so I'm reluctant to put anything online because the state of online feedback isn't, it's not of high enough quality yet. It, it will be. Not so, personable enough. Really. But it, yes, and it, it's not. You know, part of providing feedback isn't just reading somebody's words or what they've typed into a, a chat box. It's reading their body language. It's uh, hearing them sigh or seeing how their their breathing changes. And these are all cues that we pick up on as teachers and as parents, and we pick up on it unconsciously sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is best uh, passed on in a coaching environment. It's not that I have to do it. And maybe the best business model for this is uh, to build a training program to train teachers and um, concerned adults uh, the best these techniques. And so mm -hmm. they, they can then go forth and, uh, and, and do the same. You know, I, I heard an interesting phrase the other day, and that is teach a man to fish and you fed him for a day. Teach a man how to fish and he'll never come back because they don't need you anymore mm -hmm. and they've become independent. And it's, it's a little bit of a play on the old, um, uh, the old adage of uh, teach a man to fish and you fed him for a lifetime. But I think if we, um, the more that we train people and help people and whatever the best way that is to do that, uh, not only do I, I want to do that, but as I mentioned about 10 minutes ago, that is a burning desire of my wife's because she's tired of She's tired of hearing me tell that to our kids or to um, <laughs> uh, to selected few people that I happen to be around and or, you know, a couple of clients that we have. Um, but I think that's something, some information that in one way or another, we want to scale because mm -hmm. we don't see it out there anywhere. It sounds like you need a podcast. <laughs> that's what, my, my husband finally like, I'm tired of listening to this. <laughs> you need to start getting it out there to other people. <laughs> so, well, if we find, anyway. <laughs> if I find the time, yes, that's, okay. that's, a, that's a possibility. Awesome. All right. Well, you know, it's been a couple of years since we talked and I'm really big about that paradigm change. You know how those experiences that we have help to change our mindsets. 
what do you feel like your paradigm has changed and how do you feel like that's been unique to your experiences? That's a great question. When you work for a company, you are in a, a closed environment to a great extent. Your work, I worked with great people, but they were the same people. There's a certain culture and a certain way of thinking. And um, over the past nine months, I've had opportunities to, to dabble in social media, to use Twitter, for instance, and then become afraid of Twitter <laughs> and, and just, you know, to, to sort of dissect that and see how that works and to think about, you know, the, the younger generation that, that we have in America today, that for one reason or other, there, there feels like there's a contentious uh, gap there. I think the, the biggest paradigm shift that I had, and um, I'll plug a book that I read in a minute, but is, is just understanding that it's natural, first of all, for generations to be different, but that in many ways, young people today are different in a very valuable and, and important set of ways. It just doesn't come out the way that we as adults often would like it. When we hear, okay, boomer, that offends us mm -hmm. and they're trying to. So that, <laughs> so that if so, it works, they figured that out. Right. But I also think that when, you know, when we hear that, it, it's also an opportunity for us to not react the way that everybody would expect us to react and not to be defensive and uh, angry and indignant and all the things we probably would like to be right off the bat. Um, <laughs> but also to practice and teach one of the most important skills that can be taught and that younger people don't have the opportunity to, to engage in as much as we did. And that is the simple skill of listening. We can show students and, and, and young people that we can listen, that we're willing to listen, that this is how you listen. That we value we you, what they have to say, maybe. Yes, we, <laughs> We want to know what you're thinking. And in the middle of it, we're not going to interrupt you. And I really feel as if that is an, a very difficult perspective for uh, those of us who are of a certain age, because mm -hmm. we feel that we have earned our high standing in life as mm -hmm. older people because we've stayed alive <laughs> for yeah. a longer time. But at the same time, somebody who I consider a professional friend, Mark Perna, wrote a book called Answering Why. And Mark has worked in the field of career education over a period of 20 years, but mostly how to attract and retain students in career education programs, because career education has a stigma to it, and most people don't understand these students. And so there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And one of the things that Mark talks about in his book is the young people of today are all about experiences. Mm -hmm. It's for them, for them, their dream job of the future is not what we thought about when we thought about our dream job. I, I know I thought about how can I make money and take care of my family? And it didn't have a lot to do with experiences. I wasn't, I, I didn't have a sense of wanting to negotiate how and what was that lifestyle going to be like. But students, uh, young people like my son and daughter who are in their 20s are so oriented toward experiences and it's a paradigm shift. It's different. It's one that I still wrestle with because I fall back into my, my old way of thinking when interacting with them. But it is a, uh, it's a definite difference. And I think one that uh, in one way or another, we can, uh, we can embrace, although at times it's, it, it can be difficult.
Well, and that's one thing I love about our rising generation is that they are more oriented on experiences, which I think experiences give us a deeper, richer life. It provides more learning, it, you know, all of those types of things. I think many of us have so much to learn from that. I'm, I'm kind of on the, the edge of the boomer thing and the, and the millennials. You know, I'm kind of, well, I'm in that Generation X situation and I can feel so much empathy to them of wanting to have that experience versus just what we deem as success, you know, Agreed. <laughs> the, the nice car and the big house and all of those kinds of things. And I think that we can learn so much from them because of that. Oh, and, you know, I, one I thing I'll add about. quickly is my wife and I saw the movie 1917 um, uh, last weekend, and I could not recommend it more. Uh, and I, I'm not a movie or a war movie buff by any means, but it, it, it was just an amazing, the cinematography was was stunning. Uh, and it's a, it's a great story. But walking in, I thought about what the young people who are 40 years younger than me, what did they see walking into the movie 1917? And uh, my grandfather was in World War One, the war to end all wars. He came out of it with a medal. I heard stories about World War One. And then I also remember having the Civil War in perspective in my mind as I was growing up as pretty much ancient history. And it was only a, a few decades before World War One. But for one reason, one was much closer to me and one was much more distant in my worldview. Well, to these young people today, that's where World War One is. It's the same place that the Civil War was whenever I I was growing up in terms of their timeline and the way that they think about things. We grew up with three or four television channels, or maybe, uh, Rebecca, you're obviously yeah. younger than me, no, so maybe, <laughs> maybe cable a little bit or whatever. And we, we remember when MTV used to play songs and mu music videos, for crying out loud. But these students, these young people grow up with um, the, the dilemma of they have so many choices. It really is about discerning the best experience out of all those choices. It's not a matter of what to them, which is what it was to us. Yeah, it's true. a matter of how. So That's very true. That's a great perspective to look at things. And um, I'm enjoying this conversation so much. It's like, I really do want to get to the burning question. You know, you've sure. worked in, you've worked in technology. Plus now, you know, you're doing more of career readiness type of education. That's a little more hands on. But one of the burning questions that, you know, recently a parent talked to me about was how we can put like technology in its proper place. I mean, there's so many parents like us. I mean, even for me, technology is this wonderful thing. You know, I love my phone. I love all the things that we can do, but I'm also worried about that balance. You know, what advice do you think you could give parents that are kind of worried about too much screen time and, you know, how to make sure our kids are in that healthy place with technology? It's a great question. Uh, screens are everywhere, even in the workplace. I'm pretty focused on what I'm doing, but again, my wife is a normal person, mm -hmm. by the way. I, I'm completely abnormal. She's normal. And that's, I think, why we, we get along really well. But one of the things that she comments on if we're in a coffee shop or is why does the TV have to be on here? There are screens everywhere today. And in major cities, there are really big screens, ironically, outside of sporting events so that people don't have to go inside, but they can congregate outside as well. Uh, I remember watching the Toronto Raptors in the NBA championship last year. And um, there were probably as many people right outside the building watching it on this huge TV as there were inside the building. Mm -hmm. 
in Toronto. And so, yes, technology is here and it's here to stay. And not only is it here to stay, but the rapid change in technology is no doubt going to continue for some time. I think one of the most difficult things even for me to do is to keep up, is to embrace the overabundance of tools, opportunities, and abilities that there are out there. Uh, Just the simple question of video conferencing at work is a complex question anymore because there are so many tools Mm -hmm. that can be used. And unfortunately, to somebody like me or maybe you, it does become a complex question to our our sons and daughters and and folks in, in, in the generation of 30 or under. It's just all about FaceTime. It's obvious to them. It's a a very simple function. And I really believe that in some ways they have it right. And it goes back to that experience maybe again, you know, I think so. (laughs) And we, and I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that taking whole sentences and reducing them to four letters really makes it and and when they text you know i I just i can't i don't know how to do that that's that is that's beyond me it's not about knowing everything they know or wanting to be able to do everything that younger folks can do but i think probably one of the best answers that i can give rebecca is that our life experiences over the last 200 years have always changed that's not new just because it's changing today doesn't mean that um, it didn't change 100 years ago uh, mm-hmm. with indoor plumbing mm-hmm. um, or 50 years ago uh, when um, the washer and dryer came into the home and uh, people didn't all everybody didn't have to hang their clothes out. So, so there have always been technological advances. It's hard to think of those things that I just mentioned as advances, but it's it's it was, there have always been technological advances that we've had to adjust to in our homes and fa- as families. And I think sometimes it's a matter of of not being afraid to let our sons and daughters teach us. I came from a family where my dad taught me a lot of things, but he didn't let me do a lot of things. Um, I don't know if it's because he thought I would screw it up or if it's just because, and I think this is really the truth, I think he just enjoyed doing what he did. Yeah, it's hard to let it go. Yeah, yeah. And so there was always an illusion that when I grow up, I'm going to get to do that. Well, I feel like I'm kind of in this the sandwich generation where, no, now I'm learning from my son and my daughter, this is how you do this or this is how you do that. And it's not just with technology. My daughter embraces diversity, for instance, her worldview, her perspective. Mm-hmm. She embraces diversity so much more readily. They're, they're much more than, empathetic. I think. Yes, mm-hmm. than, yes, than I did. And I learned so much from just asking my, my son and daughter, and my daughter is recently uh, married just a year ago. And so speaking with, uh, with my new son-in-law, these are experiences that I find to be very rich and that I don't feel to be threatening, but it's very difficult to get over the threshold of it not feeling threatening at times. Mm-hmm. And it, just because we don't understand something doesn't make us old. It's simply something that maybe we need to learn about. So putting a a little bit of a bow on this, let the students lead a little bit, give them the project, the idea, and let them run with it. I think a better question than how do you decline uh, the word farmer in Latin? 
which is maybe what we grew up with a little bit. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me um, why farmers are using drones today? Because I know they are, but I, I have no idea why you'd use a drone as a farmer. The answers that you'd get would be one of either, either amazing depth or you'd probably find that they might be interested in it too or not. So then the question, so why isn't that something worthy of you texting your friends and looking it up online and um, why, why don't you care about that? Like yeah. what, what are things that are related that you do care about? So that, that's probably a long, way too long answer, but okay. don't feel threatened by it. Um, embrace it, find the common ground where you can talk to them and let them lead and provide them feedback. But as we talked about before, take that opportunity to, to ask them about it and then um, listen with unconditional intensity. And you, you may forget the technology. Um, it's all about relationships. And I, I think at the end of the day, you'll end up with a better relationship that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess my question does focus on control. You know, the parents are wanting to control. Actually, yesterday I was doing a coaching session where we talked about how we have to trust children. And it's really difficult for us because we were never taught that children could be trusted. And that's really the, the part I think that we struggle a lot is changing that mindset to going, I don't have to always have control over this. Let's work on this together. Like you said, it's more about building that relationship with your child of like, well, how are you using this? Not how much, I mean, I need to control this. You know, I need to, to make sure you're not on this too much. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the difference of where we put that control. And it goes back to just trusting, trusting children and then also sharing that experience with them. Or working. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And my son and daughter, I think, are still intimidated by me because I have a lot of strange experiences and do some strange things that most normal people probably don't have the opportunity to. And so they want to give me the right answer all the time. But I'll, I'll tell you who practices that in our family. And um, maybe she should be on the show instead <laughs> of me. And, that, and that's my wife. So there was a rapper that recently died. And um, my son's in, into rap. And my wife had had enough conversations with my son where she's just picking his brain all the time about something that he's interested in and that is extremely technologically enhanced today. It's not like music, obviously, of 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. Even the, the, the business model for the entire industry is different today. But she's taken that opportunity of Technology allows them both to be able to listen to the same songs. She's already been through. Do you realize what some of these songs are saying? Like that discussion yeah. and like, you know, are you OK with that? Or did, did we raise you wrong? Or And, and you know, you, you taking kind of the, um, as you mentioned, the control piece and uh, all, peeling those layers back and ultimately just learning about today's rap from him. And they have a better relationship because of that, you know, simply put. I think that that's a, a real living case study of mm -hmm. um, of the direction. And the last thing I'll say, they're not using they don't use technology to use technology. They use technology to make their life better. Yeah. And we still I, I even still have trouble just getting over the technology. And that's where I think part of the barrier comes from is they're native to it. And. 
we find it to be something very much outside of ourselves. So let them help us with that. Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot like the TV was for my parents' generation. My parents are still very like, that's what they do in the evenings is they watch TV. We don't even have cable in our home anymore. I mean, what, you know, most of it is uh, centered around computers and what we can watch all on our own, you know, individually or, or even with a family. We'll get together. What can we stream? And I think that we'll just see that. Like, they're more, way more comfortable with that. I mean, my parents are still big TV watchers. We don't do that. Sometimes we go like, why do you just sit around and watch TV all the time? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and, and then they may be that with even with the computers. Like, yeah, it's there. You know, it's it's useful. But I would rather be outside. I and mean, my kids are are almost more passionate about like, I just want to get away from it, you know, than we were. And so, yes. So I don't maybe it's not a, a worry that we have to to necessarily worry about. Yes. Uh, like I said, okay, Agreed. so we're already an hour in and I haven't even okay. gotten to what you're doing now. So you gave me two websites. Um, you gave me patrickkeeney.com and accentuatelearning.com. Am I saying both of those correctly? Yes, I, accentuate okay. learning, Accent- like accentuate the positive. Uh-huh. And um, I have a, a vanity website for anybody who wants to understand my skill set and if I can help help them uh, in some way from a, a business standpoint, I'm always always happy to. And I, I think what gives me the most pleasure sometimes, Rebecca, is not helping them myself, but being able to connect them to somebody that mm-hmm. uh, I've worked with in the past that I know. Like I said, I've I've been fortunate to be surrounded by so many really talented people, from uh, graphic designers to program managers. So from a business standpoint. Uh, always happy to help out on an individual standpoint. Uh, if somebody is interested in what we do from or what I've, we've talked about today from a learn to learn standpoint, uh, I'm not trying to keep those techniques that I talked about a secret. I'm just trying to find some time, as we mentioned, figure out how uh, to, so, how to, to carve get that it out. out there. So, yeah. yeah, so that I can make my wife happy, really. And so that she, uh, you know, what motivates most husbands is just, you know, kicking something off of a honey-do list. And and this has become part of my honey-do list. So I <laughs> uh, definitely have to get to that. And in fact, I seem to boomerang back to to this podcast. And so um, I, I will hold myself accountable to you and your audience as to at least give an update as to how many of the chapters in the book I've written or how far I've gotten the next time I come back. Um, so um, I'm also, I'm on Twitter. Um, my handle is at... Keeney underscore Pat. Uh, I'm on um, uh, Facebook and, and, you know, just you can look up my name. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not very interesting on Facebook, especially if there's anybody, uh, anybody, any group of people that I can help uh, lend my expertise to or, or help with. Um, I'm more than happy to I do speaking engagements. Uh, so uh, I'm ha- happy to uh, help provide public thought leadership on certain areas like uh, metacognitive learning, like learning to learn or uh, career education. And uh, I promise the one thing I can control is I will not run over whatever time they tell me. To, well, I, to, well I, I'm not worried about the time for my <laughs> sake. I'm worried about the time. I just, I feel bad taking I, so much yes. of your time. But I just want to be sure that we talk about all the points that you want to get out there about what you're doing with those particular, you know, those websites and, and all of the the ways that we can connect with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, are there any key points that you want to talk about, about, I don't want to miss anything. 
No, um, the uh, accentuate learning is more about um, our uh, what I, I would call our formal business services. And uh, Pakini.com is just kind of it's the answer to a, a question. And, it, I, you know, I, I had trouble figuring out the easiest way to answer it. And that is so like, Pat, you've you worked for NASA and you've done this and you've done that. What can you do? Like, what do you what can you help me with? And you, what what can't you help me with? What what are some areas? Because there are obviously some things I don't know anything about. And so the vanity website is more personal. Uh, the corporate website, AccentuateLearning.com, uh, is uh, less so. Um, I, I'll also put in a plug for uh, the schools in Ohio. They're the seven, uh, they're called career prep schools. Um, you can look them up online as such. You know, they're for credit deficient students. These aren't all students sometimes who come from a, um, a rough background. Sometimes, because they have CTE programs, we've found a student or two who just can't get into the networking academy in a school district or whatever else. And so, um, you know, we've taken those students on too and helped them get a, uh, like a Cisco uh, or an A++ security uh, credential. So, uh, so they're great schools. Strongly recommend that people look at them as part of their uh, freedom to choose schools, which is a great freedom that we have. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And what kind of feedback are you getting from the people? I mean, you've already talked about this, you know, you've taught over, what, 1,700 students and, and that kind of thing. But I'd love to hear, like, the feedback that you're getting with these two, um, well, with your uh, Accentuate Learning. And it's split up in different sections, right? Like, you you, you work with schools, but you also work with individuals as well, I, I noticed. Yes. Okay. And so the individuals are the, that's the learn-to-learn piece. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the, uh, the more... Uh, uh, corporate or enterprise-oriented piece are uh, that's the type of work that I've done that I'm doing right now with uh, schools in Ohio and that I uh, have done with uh, Transfer, the the virtual reality company. So you know, ultimately, if somebody comes across either of those websites, it doesn't matter what what funnel or channel they come in from. Um, I'm the person at the other end of the email or the contact form if they just get a hold of me. Uh, again, uh, I will let you know, honestly, if I can't do much for you, if there's somebody that I know who's talented and I, I I'm just in awe of the network of people that I, I know I, <laughs> they're, I've just been very blessed that way. And so I'll put you in touch with with somebody or a couple people who, who can help um, on the learn to learn piece. Happy to help individuals any way that I can uh, as time provides and. If there are too many of them, then I'm going to have to write a book. So maybe that's the best thing. <laughs> to get just, too many of them. Just so flood that, that side of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yep. All right. Well, what habits do you feel like in your personal life have been really helpful to you individually? And how does that work into your long-term goals and then into that legacy that, you know, we're all going to leave one way or the other, but the things that we want people to know about us? I've never figured things out. I don't know how the universe works. I don't know how politics in the United States works. And I'm not afraid to say that. And so that has led me to be able to be humbly and honestly curious for my entire life to the extent that, yes, I have a deep interest in astrophysics. I'm a gamer. Incidentally, the two games I'm I'm playing right now are Elder Scrolls Online and a game called Elite Dangerous, which is a space simulation, so no surprise probably. <laughs> but at the same time, 
every night, my wife and I watch uh, right now a um, an episode of The Crown. And we've had some really interesting discussions about it. She has accused me far too much for my comfortableness of being a little bit too much like Philip. (laughs) And at the same time, though, I I just don't I don't know about Great Britain and I don't know Mm -hmm. about the monarchy there. And so it's just being humbly and honestly curious. It's looking up at the sky at night, which unfortunately becoming less of a possible experience for for people and seeing seeing the stars and noticing that uh, one of the stars in Orion actually is getting dimmer almost on a nightly basis right now and wondering what the heck is going on there right now. (laughs) Um, It's just being honestly curious about things and not being afraid to ask questions. I think the smartest people that I've ever met are the people who don't have all the answers but they're very good at formulating really interesting questions. And if you look at people from our past, like Tesla or Einstein, these are people who just asked questions that were better than the questions that other people were thinking about at the time. So I think as far as habits go, it's being curious and being able to formulate interesting questions. And then the last one I'll toss out is, and this might be hard for anybody listening to this podcast to believe, but really intensely listening to people. Um, hearing them uh, while listening, not thinking about what the next thing is that you want to say, but thinking about what are they really saying. And well, I always knew that, uh, Rebecca, um, I I had a, a friend and mentor at, uh, at K-12, actually, who I think was exceptional at that, who lived that every minute of every day. And I was able to just learn from that person's habits how to uh, how, how to be a um, an extreme listener. And um, so it would be those three things, curiosity, listening, and um, I forgot the other one that I mentioned. Uh, and asking intense asking questions. Asking questions, yes. <laughs> okay. As, formulating and asking great questions. That's awesome. <laughs> I was just seeing if you were paying attention. <laughs> that, that, as we talk about listening, are you really listening? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I feel like if you're a really great listener, it expresses to the other person such a deep, profound love. I mean, I've had a many friends like that. I, I would love to be more like that. I know that I'm not. I'm I'm a talker. And <laughs> and but when you're with those people, you feel like you're really loved and cared for because they listen so intently. So if you, we want to feel like the people that are around us feel loved by us, I feel like that's just a, a very simple but yet a profound way of providing that for them. So um, Yes, agreed. Well, and I'd love to, do you have any parting words for our listeners? And then give us your contact information. I mean, you've kind of already done that, but reiterate that for us, please. Well, first, I just hope nobody takes for granted the service that you provide with this podcast and by stimulating and facilitating conversations that are important to have, that are not as prominent as they should be or need to be. And and perhaps if they were, uh, we would find that there are some problems that we face today that we would be easier to solve or better solved. So thank you for having me on and, and, thank, you. and thank you for that. And as a as a parting shot, I'm constantly aware of the uh, the tone and tenor of the communication in our country today. It's very tense. And what I find is interesting is when people have something that they're all working toward 
and a goal that they have in common, suddenly that melts away. Um, and I've seen that in many workplaces. There are people who I have different political views than who I've worked with in the past. Um, one of whom called me uh, and um, uh, when I left K-12 and almost had me in tears with the kind things that she, uh, she said to me. And I think that illustrates that while everybody has their, their intentions to die on today, um, we have more in common than we don't. We have the best standard of living as a country and on the planet that, than we've ever had. And I think that allows us at times to be a little selfish with the hills that we have to die on. So um, mm -hmm. I, I just want to encourage people to ask questions more, listen more, be curious more. Don't lose that just because we now have 150 gazillion channels that we can watch and not three like we grew up with. And I think the tide will turn. I realize that um, sometimes the leadership of a, of a country can set the tone. I realize that there are lots of things that can, quote, set the tone of something. But ultimately, we set the tone for our lives and our personal relationships. And um, I'd encourage everybody out there just, just to work at that level. And I think if we did, then um, I don't mean to be too idealistic, but uh, I, I think we would find a groundswell of an improvement in tone throughout the country. And I, I hope that I hope I hope that that's what happens in this new decade. I agree. I agree with that. My uh, dad and I were recently discussing that he's super uh, just very into politics, always watching political shows. And and um, I was reading um, Jim. They also like Price is Right. <laughs> and so the, the, <laughs> the host on there has, you know, and, and basically the host has said, you know, my belief is that it's more important what you do in your life than it is. Uh, what you watch your politicians do in their lives. And so he's more concerned about, you know, that individual. And I'm like, I agree with that. I think, you know, we make more of a difference in our world than, than even caring about what's going on with XY politician, because um, ultimately our world, you know, what happens within that sphere is the only thing we can really control. And it was not something he agreed with me <laughs> about, but that's fine because, um, you know, that's that's where that individual thought and those questions come from. <laughs> so, no, ag agreed. And I, I've I've been fortunate to travel around the country. There are so many beautiful places. I love the time that I spent in Idaho. <laughs> I think there are four states I haven't been to. I, I've been very fortunate. And I think that that ends up being the point is I've been to almost every state. My parents didn't have opportunities that were close to that. Um, their grandparents struggled through the Depression. There, and, and we can go back and we can look at generationally how today, yes, there's climate change of some sort going on. There are people who still go to bed at night without the right amount of food and there are problems. Or healthy it, food. <laughs> yeah, true. But it's never been better. And mm -hmm. I think if we start from that paradigm and that perspective, then I think the conversations change a bit as opposed to don't take this away from me. Mm -hmm. Or how can you feel that way? Or which is where too many conversations start today. So again, my, my hope is just that at, at a small household, a neighborhood, local uh, level, um, that the conversations do and can become more civil over the next year and five years and 10 years. And um, there, there's a little bit more listening than 
than um, than than standing on some, your hill to die on. And yeah, exactly. um, and I, I I think if if we do that as people, as the people, then um, then that movement uh, will supersede whatever we see from uh, politicians who, by the way, are people who we just watch a lot do their job. I mean, we're just we're just watching a lot of people do the job, and that's their job is it, to do what they do. So. It's uh, so, sports watching for the politically minded. <laughs> it very much is. It so. very much is like sports, isn't it? If yeah. you watch it a certain way, um, and frankly, if we uh, if you didn't watch them and didn't know what they were doing, how much different would your life really be? Yeah, uh, a lot less angry. <laughs> so. Yes, that's okay. true. Okay, that's true. and then reiterate that contact information. Sure. So um, if you want to know a little bit more about me personally, I'm at patrickkeeney.com. Just a quick note, not patrickkenny.com. Um, I had a classmate named Ed Kenny, and I got his English grade once, and it was higher than mine, so I kept it. But at <laughs> the end of the day, it is, <laughs> it, it is Keeney, and um, so it's easy to misspell. It says K-E-E-N-E-Y. And uh, Accentuate Learning, A-C-C-E-N. T-U-A-T, learning.com, where we accentuate positive and the positive, and we try to accentuate what other companies and other learners are doing so that they achieve better outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, I always have amazing discussions with you. I love getting together and, you know, talking about some interesting topics and questions. Um, There were several things that I, I think we could have spun off on a whole nother episode, but I won't do that. But it's always fun talking to you, uh, Patrick. Again, we've been talking with Patrick Keeney. I will be sure to connect his websites and his social media contacts for our listeners on the website. But thank you so much for coming on and talking about these disruptive issues with us. I appreciate it. Rebecca, it's more than my pleasure. And thank you for providing this forum and this opportunity for people. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.